Hello, gentlemen. I hope everyone had a great Christmas and New Year's break and are getting focused on what you're going to do to make it an amazing 2024. I have to apologize for the delay in this podcast with traveling over the holidays, and then I've been sick, um, me and my family, for the past week or so, and I just uh, didn't think my voice could handle speaking for this long. So we're back now, but I'll again apologize in advance if you hear me taking some breaks. That'll probably be to grab a drink of water. But I am very excited for this podcast this week, as I hope and pray it'll have a lot of applicability to everybody who listens. Um, Just to recap on where we've been so far and where what leads us to today. In the first few episodes, we've been laying a foundation for what a man needs to be successful in this life. And again, I'm using a framework laid out by John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, which I highly recommend, I can't recommend enough, where he outlines that a man needs to have a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. We've talked about a battle to fight, an adventure to live, so today we're going to wrap up this initial series talking about a beauty to rescue. Now, I must admit, this is the episode I've been looking forward to with an amount of trepidation, as this has been one of the biggest struggles of my life. Now, with this tribe, I want to cultivate an environment of transparency, and therefore I feel it would be wrong of me not to offer up some transparency transparency for my own life. What I do want to be clear on is that when I talk about my personal struggles, I don't do this to air my dirty laundry or cultivate any kind of sympathy. I am simply doing so in the help of knowing that others who listen may have make or will make similar mistakes that I've made. And I'll also always do my best to protect my wife's viewpoint on anything where we're talking about our relationship. And so what I do share will, of course, be coming from that lens. Now, we all do have our unique challenges, and so yours most likely will be different than mine, but I hope some of the lessons that I've learned can help you in your own unique struggles, whether that's in a relationship or otherwise. While you may not struggle in your marriage, it's clear that the institution of marriage is incredibly fragile, or at least the people who participate in it. Depending on what numbers you look at, around 50% of marriages end in divorce, and that doesn't include or consider the marriages that stay together but are dead inside. So I think what I share here today will have applicability to your situation, if not now, then in the future. Before I delve into my own story, let's talk a little bit about what John means when he says men need a beauty to rescue. We've all watched the Disney fairy tale stories, at least the old ones. I don't watch many new ones. Where the man rescues the princess or the damsel in distress. It's a natural desire within us, just like the desire to have a battle to fight and an adventure to live. We want to go out and rescue the maiden and give her the fairy tale life she deserves. Undoubtedly, we'll delve into this idea deeper as we continue these podcasts and conversations, but we have to be careful that this desire for pursuit doesn't become a priority, number one, in our life. If we're not careful, especially as younger men, we can elevate the pursuit of a woman to an improper level where either we just want to pursue and conquer woman after woman without committing to one, or we hang our entire happiness and fulfillment on whether or not we have rescued a beauty. I've seen young men dejected and depressed because they did not have a girlfriend or wife yet when they were still relatively young men, not realizing that the neediness was most likely one of the reasons they did not have the relationship they desired. Another related topic I feel strongly about is sometimes we confuse the need for a woman in our life with the need to get right ourselves. 
we misdiagnose the problem. We think a woman can fix something that feels missing or broken within us when really this is some deep work we must do on our own, ideally prior to being married. A lot of the time we are asking these women to fulfill and validate something inside of us that isn't their job, and it's an unfair expectation. What do I mean by that? At least in my case, I wanted someone to validate me and make me feel better about myself. This is work I should have done prior to being married, as it's unfair to expect your spouse to be the person who makes you feel worthy. They can certainly help you with this and should be an affirming voice in your life, but this is something you should be able to feel on your own, regardless of your spouse's opinion of you. If you go into a marriage with the expectation, you are hamstringing it from the start. Men can also fall into a false idea of rescuing a beauty through pornography. It's no risk to you. You don't have to sacrifice. You don't have to give anything of yourself, but you still get a dopamine hit. Besides the other problems involved in pornography, it also reeks of cowardice. Another thing I think we'll see in the coming years is artificial intelligent relationships. They will promise total happiness for the man, as again, there will be not any real sacrifice for him. He'll, only, he'll get what he desires. You won't have to put anything forward. You won't have to sacrifice. You won't have to put yourself out there. You won't have to be vulnerable. You won't have to fight for a real woman. The AI-generated woman, and just search this on. If you don't think this is real, just search it on online. There's already ones out there. She'll be whatever you want. And this is going to continue as we continue to move toward technology and out of a face-to-face society. But let's return to the book for some additional insight. In the book, he says... No, we have not been poisoned by fairy tales, and they are not nearly myths. Far from it. The truth is we have not taken them seriously enough. As Roland Hines says, myths are stories which confront us with something transcendent and eternal. In the case of our fair maiden, we have overlooked two very crucial aspects to that myth. On the one hand, none of us ever believed the sorcerer was real. We thought we could have the maiden without a fight. Honestly, most of us guys thought our biggest battle was asking her out. And second, we have not understood the tower and its relationship to her wound. The damsel in distress. If masculinity has come under assault, femininity has been brutalized. Eve is the crown of creation, remember? She embodies the exquisite beauty and exotic mystery of God in a way that nothing else in all creation even comes close to. And as she is the special target of the evil one, he turns his most malicious—sorry, mali- <laughs> he turns his most vicious malice against her. If he can destroy or keep her captive, he can ruin the story. End of quote. He goes on to explain later that her wound is, "Am I lovely?" Now I'll back up a minute because we talked about this a little bit. But a man's wound is, "Do I have what it takes?" That's the question he wants answered. That's the question that needs to be answered by his father. Or if he doesn't have a father, a father figure in his life needs to answer that question for him. That He talks a ton about that in Wild at Heart. The counterpart to that is a woman's wound is, am I lovely? And he says, every woman needs to know that she is exquisite, exotic, and chosen. There's a lot to unpack there in that quote. <clears throat> so first of all, He says, nobody believed the sorcerer was real. 
You probably recall the sorcerers in the Disney movies from Jafar, the one in Sleeping Beauty, Ursula and the Little Mermaid, and there are many others who represent that role. Now think for a minute back to the garden where Satan deceives Eve. How many of us really take the Bible seriously? And I'm talking about people who are Christians, who have read the Bible. How many of us really believe that Satan is actively working now, right now, to deceive your wife, just like he did Eve? If we are going to rescue our wives, or our future wives, we have to understand the devil is actively working to destroy her. Have you ever tried to get inside her head to see what she's dealing with? We're often so locked into how we think and what our struggles are, that we probably are blind to what our wife struggle with. We see the difference between men and women on the outside, but what about the differences on the inside? What your wife struggles with most likely is very different than you. you, you see, we, sin, we tend to think that how we see the world and our struggles are the same as everybody else. Now, that's com- probably completely different, especially when you're considering how a woman feels. Secondly, he says, we thought we could have the maiden without a fight. Now, fairy tales, while powerful in their message, fall short. At the end of the movie, the damsel in distress is rescued, and the couple lives happily ever after riding off into the sunset. It's a one-time event of rescue. But that isn't how life works, is it? It's a continual process of fighting the dragon to save her. Sometimes the dragon is an external force or circumstance, Sometimes the dragon is an argument between the two of you, and sometimes the dragon is you. We must constantly be on guard that we are protecting our wives, because happily ever after isn't easy. Third, he says Eve is the crown of creation. She embodies the exquisite beauty and exotic mystery of God in a way that nothing else in all creation even comes close to. And as... As she is the special target of the evil one, he turns his most vicious malice against her. If he can destroy or keep her captive, he can ruin the story. Think about that for a minute. To be honest, if I think about that too long, it almost makes me emotional. When is the last time you thought about your wife as the crown of creation or an exquisite beauty? I think there's something to be said for beauty that in most modern societies we miss. Let's step, stop, sidestep our conversation for a minute. Look at the architecture from hundreds of years ago, specifically the cathedrals that were built, the art that was created, and even the grand symphony, symphonies that were written and played. The builders, painters, and musicians did it to glorify God. They believed he was worthy of creating beauty, and even that it was their duty and obligation to glorify him with their artistic skill. Now look at modern architecture. Is it beautiful? What about modern art? Nobody even can tell you what it is. It might be interesting, but is it beautiful? What about the popular mainstream vulgar music? Whether rap or country, the messages are perverse. Now let's get back to our main discussion. There is something to be said for acknowledging, appreciating, and protecting the beauty our wives embody. I think there's a good argument to be made that women should try to maintain their good health and beauty as an act of honoring God. But the devil wants to attack that. He wants to attack and eliminate the beauty of women physically and in how they act, which is more important than their physical beauty, of course. And lastly, let's consider a woman's wound. Am I lovely? It's at the basis of what she wants to know. To be honest, this isn't something I've done a great job of in my relationship. It was easy while we were dating to tell Megan how beautiful she was. 
It was easy to constantly hold her hand, constantly praise her, constantly honor her. But once we got married, it became more difficult. Does your wife feel exquisite, exotic, and chosen? Think deeply on this one. If the answer is no, then you have work to do, as do I. So how do we rescue our wives? Ephesians 5 in the Bible has some great insight into this. Now, there's a lot more to discuss regarding marriage in this chapter, but for today's topic, I want to focus on the husband's responsibility towards his wife. Starting in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hates their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church." One way we rescue her is through sacrificial love. The analogy Paul is using in this verse is Christ is the husband and the wife is the church. We know Christ is the ultimate example of sacrificial love in going to the cross. Sacrificial love means putting her needs above your own. When you make decisions, making sure her needs and desires are considered, it means dying to self. Now, it doesn't mean you do everything she wants or everything she says. That's not true love. You have to make the tough decisions. That's your calling from God. But it does mean you always try your best to put her first and make decisions that will ultimately benefit your wife, even if she doesn't see it that way. Another way we rescue her is by making her holy and cleansing her. Now, we know we're not responsible for anyone else's salvation, but as the leaders of our home, we can make her holy by our example, by prioritizing our relationship with God and making studying the Bible a standard in our home. We rescue her by protecting her as much as possible from the deceit of the devil and showing her the right path to walk. We are responsible for protecting our wives physically, but don't forget about the emotional and spiritual aspect. Your wife wants and needs to feel safe in all aspects. I'm going to go into the weeds a little bit now, but I think it's worth mentioning. Does your wife feel physically protected? Are you physically healthy enough to protect her? Are you in any sense physically imposing or threatening to deter people from bothering her or your family when you're out? Have you done any kind of self-defense or firearms training? Do you have any plans in place if a robbery were to take place or a fire or a natural disaster? Maybe you think those things are silly or unnecessary. After all, we have the police and fire departments, right? The veil of safety our modern world provides is falsely reassuring. But peek behind the veil if you dare, and I think you'll find an ugly reality that in a lot of emergency situations, if you are dependent on someone else to save you or your family, the results might be catastrophic. Is that really a chance you want to take with the people you love most? I'll add another broader twist to this. A society that allows its women to go fight its battles is contemptible and disgusting. Note, I didn't say those women are disgusting, but a society that allows it is. I believe those women who want to join the military, their hearts are in the right place, they're patriots, and they're trying to do what they can, but it's simply backward and wrong. Think about that message we send when we let our women go fight against mostly men to protect us. It's backwards. And it's a perfect analogy for a lot of things that are going on in our society. 
Only it was today or yesterday I heard a story about a husband and wife who were both soldiers. And I don't know all the details, but it appeared they were in the same unit or worked closely. And the woman was in some sort of attack and lost both her legs. And shortly after, she died. Now, this husband and wife had children back home in the U.S. Can you imagine that? The wife isn't at home, isn't with her children. She's overseas fighting. It's, it's insane when you even say that. And yet now our society, in the, in the guise of equality and all this stuff, is happy to send our women overseas to fight. It's totally backwards and something as, as men we should be against. Now, what about emotionally protected? Are you calm and level-headed when something unexpected happens or when you get bad news? Or do you react emotionally, raising the temperature instead of lowering it? Does your wife feel safe bringing you her fears or struggles? Or does she feel your wrath and being berated when she brings something to you? Can she bring you bad news without you blowing a gasket? And can she trust that you'll be understanding and empathetic? These are questions you need to ask yourself. What about financially protected? Can she trust you to go out and hunt the buffalo and kill it and bring it home to feed the family? Or are you always on a performance review plan? Are you always just scraping by, jumping from job to job without really an advancement, always chasing your purpose or chasing the next thing? Or maybe you're just someone who's constantly complaining about your job without putting in the work to change it. Now, I understand we live in challenging financial times. Inflation is up. Home buying is becoming more difficult. The average car payment has skyrocketed even since I started working. But what's your plan to increase your income? Or are you just going to complain about the current system that it's set up against you? Look around. Some people are winning. Why aren't you? I always tell myself, if another man can do it, I can do it. Are you ambitious or do you just let life come to you? This is not an attractive quality. Women are drawn to men who are go-getters, who are out trying to conquer. Do you understand investments and how taxes work? Do you take the time to look at your employee benefits package and make sure you're making the most of it? What about a family budget? Do you lead your wife in setting a vision for your finances and keeping to it? Now, I'm all for dividing responsibilities within the household, and it could be that your wife is more gifted in financial management. I mean, that right now, Megan manages most of the finances. But if that's the case for you, I recommend you letting her handle it, but you still need to be aware of what's going on with your finances. Now, I've heard husbands say things like, my wife let me buy XYZ, or my wife gave me an allowance for one, two, three. Now, that is so weak and not how it should be. Your wife does not give you an allowance or let you buy something. Financial decisions should be made jointly, if possible, by creating a budget that works for your family. But ultimately, the buck stops with you on how the family's money is spent. It shouldn't be that you, your wife is um, giving, handing out little allowances for you to do what you want with or, or from time to time getting to do what you want with. You should be 
both of you should be, but you should be a financial steward that you are trusted with the money. She's trusted with the money. You come together, come up with a budget plan, and then you both honor it. So what about spiritually protected? Are you leading spiritually in the home? Are you going to church regularly and participating actively instead of seeming to be pulled there by force? Will she ever catch you reading the Bible or meditating and praying on your own? Do you plan and lead family Bible studies? Do you help your children study the Bible? How about how you talk about God in daily life? Is it obvious that you look to God for strength and guidance, or is he kept on the shelf like your Bible only to be pulled down on Sundays? Do you pray with your wife and family? And when you face trials, do you go to God first for help? Those are just some things I think it would be really important for you to consider. Because your wife, most likely more than you, is seeking safety. That's one way that she is going to feel more connected to you. She's going to build a deeper relationship. She's going to trust you more if she feels safe in those areas. Now, this verse in Ephesians closes out by saying we should love our wives like our own body, feeding and caring for her. Again, this is not merely putting food on the table, but taking care of her emotionally and spiritually. As we talked about earlier, a woman's wound is an emotional one. So if you aren't caring for this, it's going to only get bigger and bigger and bigger. I think that leads us directly into my story. In fact, one of the reasons I didn't start Kings and Brothers earlier is because I didn't feel like I was in a place in my marriage where I could approach some of these topics with authenticity, transparency, and authority that would benefit you. Now, for those of you who don't know me and Megan well, Megan and I got married young. I was 21. She was 20. We've been married for 13 years now. Upon reflection, and I'll only speaking for myself here, I simply wasn't ready to get married at that age. Or maybe not the age being necessarily important, but where I was emotionally. Not because I didn't love her, but because I hadn't done the work on myself in order to be prepared to take care of a wife in all the ways we've talked about so far. To be fair, I don't think I could see that at the time, but I was expecting her to fill a vacancy that I should have gotten from other people in my life, for God or from myself. As we talked about earlier, a man's wound is, do I have what it takes? And I hadn't dealt with that question. This in part as well as as a lot of other stresses in our lives from my work situation to some problems in my extended family business led to, to simply put it, a lot of difficulties through our marriage. In fact, and this is still hard for me to say, a few years ago she left me for a couple weeks. We went to joint marriage counseling and individual counseling through the years and bounced through good times and bad. I actually still see a counselor on a routine basis to keep on track and continue to my own uh, growth journey. I'm happy to say right now we're in a place that's better than it's ever been, but old habits can creep back if you're not constantly vigilant. This goes back to the question whether or not you believe Satan is real and trying to pull both of you away from God and each other. I firmly believe that Megan and I have the capacity to be powerful contributors to the kingdom when we're both in alignment with our purpose, God's will, and each other. And I think the devil will do whatever he can to disrupt that. And he has. He's taken his best shots. 
I haven't always been proud of how I've handled myself as a husband. I've made a lot of mistakes. But one thing I am proud of is whenever I've faced problems, either self-inflicted or otherwise, I've always told myself that one day, one day, I will be able to use this to help people. And I'm trying to do that right now with Kings and Brothers. I know what it feels like to think there's no hope in your marriage, like you're a failure as a husband, and like your whole life has fallen off track. But I can also tell you that any relationship can be redeemed. If you rely on God and if you put in the work to grow, and I mean deep, uncomfortable work, work that is painful, is soul-wrenching, if you're willing to do that, there is hope on the horizon, and you can emerge a new and better man for yourself and for your wife. In future episodes, I'll probably go into more detail on some of these issues we faced and how I got through them, but for now I will say you have to make sure that you're in a good place before you can truly lead your wife and family. You cannot rescue your wife if you are the one drowning. Make sure you take the plank out of your own eye before you try to fix the splinter in hers. You are called to rescue the fair maiden, to deliver her from the dragon, and live happily ever after. It will be a lifelong journey, but you are fully capable. Will you go on that quest? Thank you so much for listening again to another episode of Kings and Brothers. I hope it is uplifting. I hope it gives you some practical takeaways. Uh, that is my prayer. That was my aim in sharing this today. Now, next week's episode, we are going to talk, go in a different direction. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about myself. Who am I? Why am I somebody you, you should listen to in the topic of masculinity? What do I bring to the table? I want to share a little bit of that as we really start getting into the next phase of this podcast and what I envision for it to become, not just as a podcast, but as a group because I want us to be more connected than over uh, this space. I want to start getting into some real discussions so we can really help each other grow in the areas where we need to. So please go like and subscribe to the podcast. Also, go join the Facebook group. Um, just look up Kings and Brothers and you should be able to find it. Also, follow me on Instagram, Kings and Brothers as well. If you have any trouble finding any of the socials, please send me a DM. Contact me however you can and we'll figure it out together. I hope you have a great start to the week, and we will talk next time.